Is there anybody who wants to respond after that time of worship? Just something the Lord has revealed to you or touched you during that time of worship. Because if not, I'm going to preach. Amen. Amen for that. I uh, put the wrong scripture up there. Well, I haven't. I didn't change it. So don't focus what's on front up there because that's not what it is. Actually, it's the fullness of warfare. The fullness of warfare. And what better time right now to be talking about this than right now of what the world's facing, what the church is facing, what we're dealing with. There's no better time to be looking right into uh, spiritual warfare. So you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Not all of this is particularly devoted about spiritual warfare, but that's going to be the main source and topic. So again, just one more time. Is there anybody who feels it on their heart to respond during our time of worship? I knew somebody probably would. Sadra. Amen. Uh, Will. So this morning I have felt the same presence of the Lord here in a mighty way. And I felt that same presence yesterday standing on our deck in the sun. In, in the midst of all the storm and turmoil, God can still love us and touch us and minister to us. That's right. Let us know that we are not Thank you. I appreciate both of those words. I think we, we need to remember that regardless of what's happening right now, and there is a whole lot on the political realm, and I know there's a number of Christians who are considering, and maybe already have, um, we're done with Facebook, we're done with Amazon, we're done with this and that and all of those things. But regardless of what you're done with, just remember what you're supporting. Remember what we're running after, because if we only focus on what we're abandoning and we don't know where we're going, we're going to miss the direction. And so thank God for that. Yes.
right. We need that word over and over again. And we need to remember during these times, you know, no matter what we're suffering in life, he's the one upholding us. As I think I had shared with you guys last Sunday, was God told Elijah that he was going to feed him, and he fed him with the raven. You know, how naturally impossible all those things are. So we have to get our eyes off of what naturally looks like and realize that God supernaturally is taken care of. And part of having Sadra share her testimony this morning was to highlight that. You know, God's main focus oftentimes isn't what we're physically dealing with. God's main focus is, is what we're spiritually dealing with. And that heaviness begins to, to be, be felt more and more. And I think there's all over the world, Christians are especially feeling the weight of things. And in part, we have joy, but in another part, we have burden. And we have both of those simultaneously working together. Because right now we pray from out of the burden and we pray within the joy. Like God takes that uh, mourning and he turns it into gladness. So we have a lot to look forward to because we realize that there isn't, basically there isn't anything we're facing now that Jesus hasn't already, already brought us the victory for. And so we're just, we're enjoying it for the moment, for the time being, and for out eternity. That's got a lot for us. So thank you guys for sharing. What an encouraging word. What an encouraging word. Amen. And, uh, you know, oftentimes when I'm spending my time, when I'm having that worship, there are people who come to mind that the Lord is highlighting in those moments. And those are sincere and sweet moments when uh, it's hard for me to get up to preach when I have the Lord putting somebody as a burden on my heart. But oftentimes the other focus is, who doesn't have what we have? Who doesn't know what we know? Who doesn't experience, hasn't experienced what we're experiencing in God? And, you know, throughout the week, what I enjoy is that Sunday for me is an overflow of what's already been happening throughout the week. So we've had, uh, it just feels like every night we're doing something. And there's always somebody that we're spending some time with. And it's in those moments and in that ministry that I just feel like, Lord, I wish that you could just take me out of this physical form of complications because in my body is not enough to be able to reach the people that I want to reach. But the reality is there's enough of us here that can do that work. And so if we're focused on anything in the last times, it should be, Lord, what are the souls right now that need to hear the Word of God and to need to know the salvation that's in Jesus Christ? So... Praise God. We're in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, we'll read in verse 1. Children, obey your parents. You can turn that down a little bit. I feel like I'm... I don't know if it's just the auditorium here or what. Turn it down a little bit more. Okay, uh, a little bit more. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is a scripture that's favorite for moms and dads here. For this is right... I think this would be great for Christians as well. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, that you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he is bond or free. And you masters do the same things unto them for bearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is the respect of persons with him. So, as strange as it might seem, we, we go from there right to the spiritual warfare part of Ephesians chapter 6. 
but we have to remember that it's within its context. So part of the context of our warfare is we're, when we're dealing with our everyday life, our family life, our work life. Back then, you could be a servant who was under bondage, a slave, or you could be a servant who was paid, that was taken care of. The best that we would in our day, the way we would see this or illustrate it would be me with a boss as an employer. Or it even talks about you masters or you employers, this is your duty as well. Okay, So here we see um, our everyday life is brought into the warfare. In other words, if we're not practicing what's said in these, these uh, next verses in our warfare mentality in everyday life, we're going to miss what it means when we're in a dark time within like this nation and even greater trials are going to come. So we're prepared for trials because we're already prepared in warfare in our own homes. And I think a lot of times... You know, I think uh, it was best described one time they said, is, is the world a, a playground or a battlefield? And if we see our Christian life as this is a battleground rather than a playground, then we're going to treat it completely different in how we live our life. But I want to make a few comments here. Um, one is, is when he speaks of the servants to be obedient to his masters, you notice here it's kind of the same thing I highlighted about marriage. The focus there's no exclusive cause here. There's no, there's no uh, opportunity for what or exception clause. What is the exception for being obedient? What is the exception for being faithful? There isn't one. And the reason is, is because when we decide we're going to make God our first priority, and this is the problem with humanity, especially when it comes to jobs, and men especially, and I've, I've seen this on the job site, is we've gotten the idea that I'm worth so much money. And our main focus is, am I getting paid for the work that I do? And even though that's important, the problem is, is that that should be the secondary. What I call it is the icing on the cake. The reality is, is that my first priority was to work as unto the Lord. To give my best service to a rotten employer if necessary. To give my best service to God, not to Him. So he's getting the benefit of my service. He's getting the benefit of whatever I'm doing. But he doesn't realize that the devotion is not to the man. It's not to the master. He's not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. So what I want to say here is, is that my life devotion to Jesus Christ is in itself the payoff. We have to know that. The life devotion to Jesus Christ is the payoff. And then I get the secondary benefit of actually getting paid for the job. It doesn't matter what I get paid at that point. And my frustration isn't built upon the fairness of the job, but in rather I'm acting righteously before the Lord. And as I shared this with one of my sons the other day, I said, you know, what's important is that Jesus, I see guys do this oftentimes, and people will do this. Uh, the Lord obviously doesn't want me here in this job because of, the unfairness or the injustice of what I'm dealing with. And I think this is, if you live righteously and if you uphold the integrity of a godly man or a woman, wherever you are, then God will release you in His time. And He may not release you in the midst of that unfairness until it's time. And I've been in those circumstances and I've learned one thing through it. I've learned that when it feels unfair, my focus has to be Jesus Christ. Lord, why are you having me here? Why are you making me devote myself in these circumstances? And I remember one time the Lord gave me this message. He said, if you quit when things look hard, you are not my man. I cannot do what I need to do through your life if you give up when things are difficult. Because I work in difficulties. I do miracles when there's problems and hardships. You must be able to rely on me in those circumstances, even though your flesh is crying, Lord, let me loose, please. And every time I've had those releases, I never felt like I left a mess behind me. I never felt like there was a mess behind. Lastly, the duty is always, when it comes to God, our duty is always the focus, never the outcome or the end result. So it doesn't matter what happens here in the end. 
God's going to get the glory. And he even promised that one day he'll take vengeance. So if there's injustice done to me on this side of eternity, if they haven't got redeemed and washed under the blood of Jesus, one day God will clean it all up and in a way that I never could. So I don't know why we're all worried about trying to you know, cure it ourselves if we know he's the one defending us. So the practice of humility and servanthood to Jesus Christ comes in all aspects of life. And there isn't any situation that we deal with that doesn't demand and require our complete and total devotion to our Lord and Master. And our heart's love and service to Him in all doing that. And it's beautiful because He says right in this verse, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the shame shall receive of the Lord. Imagine the rewards when they're divvied out. You know, Paul said it this way. He said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. I want to tell those who've been suffering, I want to say to you, mark it on, mark it up. Remember that God has full reward for your sufferings because your faithfulness has been in the midst of it. You've held to Him and there's a reward for holding on to Him while you've suffered. And there isn't anything, as the old song says, that all the toils of life He'll repay. One glimpse of Him in glory will all the toils of life repay, no matter what we've gone through. No matter what we've gone through. But sometimes we get that faded away and we don't sense what it is that I'm going to get as a result of. And you know, we're not focused on the reward. We're, We're focused on the reward giver. Jesus is that reward giver. So let's go to verse 3. I'm not verse 3, but verse 6, verse 14, sorry. Actually, no, I'll I'll read verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and be in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he gives his final, this is what we need to do, is along with whatever you're doing in your servant life or your family life, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We begin to take this battle where it goes. This battle is not in our homes. This battle is not in our workplaces. This battle is not with one another in our churches. This battle is not on a human level in any degree. And if we don't take it to the right place, we don't win on the human level. We don't win in our family life. We don't win in our work world. We never win until we take the battle where it's supposed to be. And see, that's the thing, I think, is that if the devil had his way right now in America, if he had his way in our churches, if he had his way in our life, he'd only do this one thing, make sure that we are so distracted with everybody else that we forgot where the real problem was. And that's why if there's ever an urgency in life and in the world now, it's in our our prayer times. Lord, how are we handling the battle of our families? How are we handling the purity of the Christian life as God intended for us to live it? So therefore, in verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the evil in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now when you read the Bible, there's times when you read these scriptures and you ask yourself the question, what does this mean? So the whole idea of girding up your loins is completely foreign to us in our context, in our culture, and in our time. So we have to go back and look at what was this? What is it a symbol of? Why is he telling us to gird up our loins with truth? So back in the day when they were actually preparing for battle, the first thing that they had to do was pull up the skirt of their garments and pull it around them and tie it around tightly so that they would have the mobility of their legs and the ability for battle and for work. So whenever they said to gird up, that meant you were getting ready for battle or you're getting to do some labor. And you needed, um, you needed the mobility of your legs to be able to do so. Now notice here the first thing was not the armor. And I want to, I wrote something here and I want to say this in line with what I was just sharing with you. So first of all, knowing light's duties are required despite our willingness to do them, 
We must begin the battle by. You can turn me down just a little bit more. The command to gird up is the first and most necessary requirement for battle preparation. Even though it does not function to protect, it serves to enable the warrior. It provides an ability which by itself would not be enough, but without it, it would greatly hinder everything. Truth enables the Christian to discern both good and evil. The ability to properly discern is not enough to fight against spiritual wickedness, but without it, the rest of our armor is seemingly pointless. To gird up is simply to a proper application of truth. This must be done without respect to all points of our life. To gird means without partiality or hypocrisy. It just requires sincerity. To give our utmost, to live above the reproach of our own conscience and in harmony with the mind of God. We must deal on the basis of truth. If we get into the locked into our feelings, we get locked into argument, we get locked into debate, we get locked into every other form, and then we forget what is the truth. And the, the place where most of us probably practice is right in our own homes, right with our own children, right with our own wives. Of all of a sudden something came up and we were debating both ends of the thing and, and we found ourselves at odds with one another. And in those moments, define where you are with the truth of, of God as it concerns you. And so many times personally, and I'm sure it has been for us, I have to back away from my feelings, back away from my emotions, back away from whatever it might be that I'm sensing in the moment, even my own perception, and ask myself the question, what is my wife feeling? What is my son going through? And understand, what is the truth of this situation right now? And so I'm having to deal with my pride, my ego, and all of the other complexities of my person to really stop viewing things from a selfish perspective and see things as they really are. And once we get there, our relationships with one another begin to change. And I wonder if the reason why he's saying this is because so many people do not deal with life, their church, their troubles, their problems. They don't deal with it in truth. They deal with it in emotion. They deal with it with stress. They deal with all the other weights that bind on them. And so he's literally saying, gird up, apply the truth in this situation. You have two things that you can, you can look at. You can look at how you feel about it, or you can look at what the Word of God says about it. And you only can follow one or the other right now. Which one are you going to apply to your situation? And if you don't gird up with the truth, it's like literally going to battle with your garments, tripping you up while you're in the midst of it. Every other piece of the armor that God has given us is affected as to what we do concerning the truth. And I've seen church splits that amazed me. And what amazed me the most was, it's like all sincerity went out the door. The Bible got thrown away. We did everything but do what God says. And that makes me so tired. Because now we're facing an onslaught of darkness in this country. And now we still have people struggling with living the same way, fighting and debating the same problems without the Word of God as the center source of it. And the other problem is, and I think this is where the devil gets in, the devil used Scripture against Jesus. We get heated emotion and we make sure that our pet Scripture is the follow-up behind our our heated anger. You get men together and they get angry about something. They're not looking at the Word of God. They're not looking to humbling themselves the way God said to. And so now we're dealing with men that use the Scripture in their anger, and it, nothing turns out of it except for an explosion and a church split. And if we have that today, we're in trouble. That's the last thing that we need right now. <clears throat> so a few other points here. Having your loins girt, knowing how to apply this book against pride, ego, and vanity every day and in times of adversity. This is our best plan of defense. If you cannot apply the truth against your pride in the everyday things, you will never be equipped when the very difficult trials come. And then lastly, if we are not careful, pride can be the lens in which we view the facts and thereby miss the truth altogether. I just want to say that one more time. If we are not careful, pride can be the lens in which we view the facts and thereby miss the truth altogether. Pride is 
one of the greatest troubles that we're going to face right now. And so, you know, we think that, is it really that simple? Because if we're going to battle the devil, if we're going to battle principalities and powers, we have to realize the basics have to be covered within our lives. The basics. Just the basics of living a Christian life and the way God intends it to be. So let's uh, skip down to verse 15. And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. I'm sorry, I missed something here. Oh yes, still in verse 14. And having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. He actually uses the word and in this scenario, I believe, to couple both the girding of the truth and the breastplate of righteousness. And righteousness covers and protects the vital the vital parts of our faith. Um, and we've been exposed many times to somebody who um, they'll share the scripture, they'll share what they believe about the scripture, um, but it's not protected in righteousness. Uh, the way that they live, or what they've chosen for the how they're going to operate in their life is so far from righteous, and yet still... <clears throat> They have faith. And so he's saying you have to put on the breastplate of righteousness, which covers all the vital parts of our faith. It establishes a validity to what we believe in certain respects. And righteousness guards the moral purity of truth against accusation. So if anybody's going to say anything against the Christian life, it's not what you say you believe. They don't give a care what we say we believe. They care about how we demonstrate what we believe. How are you demonstrating what you believe as a Christian? Well, I'm not very good at demonstrating that. And I think one of the best pictures we've had is, is let's just say you were at work. How would you feel about somebody from the church visiting you while you were at the work site? Would there be something that would make you feel ashamed that you were doing on the work site, knowing that a Christian or a brother or sister from the church had just visited? Or the reverse effect, you were in church and somebody from the work team and visited you. Would there be something that was controversial there? And if it was, it shows there's an automatic imbalance even with our own conscience of where we're standing with the Lord. So righteousness covers and protects the vital parts of our faith. You know, righteousness, by living righteous, as many would say, it's not our merit by how we, you know, we're not meriting our salvation by righteousness, but we're meriting the worthiness of Jesus in the face of the world around us. Everybody needs to see that what we live is an honest a submission and love to Jesus Christ. And so when they see that, they're going to be motivated that this is what's different. What I say is that the world doesn't want what's uh, what it's like. They want the contrast of Christianity. It's a contrast in your life that's attractive. It's the difference in your life. It It's not the worldliness. It's not how uniquely alike the, their patterns and lifestyles you are. It's the difference that they see. So the more different we are, the greater contrast is to the, what they're seeing. And that's the testimony oftentimes they grip on. So what's the difference? In uh, verse 15, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. <laughs> I like this part of it. I, uh, I'm often joking with my wife about women in shoes. <laughs> uh, I always wonder how, and guys will do this too, but you don't see it as frequently, generally speaking. Um, why they wear shoes to the wrong occasion, you know? So I say, so I, I just highlighted it this way, high heels or boots. You know, what does God, what are, we sh- what are we putting on our feet and what are we preparing for? You know, if this is a, if this is a dress up contest, if this is trying to look good, then, then we're going to probably be looking at high heels. But if we're doing battle, we're talking about boots. There's no, there's no comparison. And you think about every part of what we're talking about, and you see it's like, yeah, I can't imagine being without one piece of this armor. I can't imagine one piece of it missing. So if I focused on every piece but one, and let's just say this one was my shoes, going to battle with the wrong kind of feet, shoes on your feet, not having boots, or in either bare feet or high heels, is not the way you want to go to battle. But yet I feel like in many ways 
if we were really to demonstrate what we're seeing today, we'd see people go into battle in high heels. I don't think in many ways that churches, the Christians are practicing what God intended with the gospel. So this is what I'd like to say. The gospel does not conform to our culture. It confronts it. It confronts what's in our culture. If the way we live or walk, if we walk in step with the gospel, then peace will follow. Peace is just the evidence that we are walking out the gospel. So I can't encourage you to have peace. Listen to me. There's no word of encouragement in the scripture that encourages you to have peace outside of walking within the step of the gospel. Like, I can tell you there's promises here, and I can tell you that there's ways that God wants to comfort you, but it still goes to the place of, am I walking in step with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so this isn't a high heels thing when it comes to our culture because the culture wants us to look and blend with them. And the reality is we don't. We just know we don't blend with the culture. I, and there's nothing about it that I can blend with. There's such a contrast to what I believe and what is important to me. And we're not talking about just being a good person. You know, people want, a, we, they are attracted to Christians because they're good people. But we're also convicting people. We're light in the midst of the darkness. And so is our light shining even in the midst of the darkness? And there is sometimes a hatred for, or I don't like you because. But we're ready to face that because we believe that this is a warfare. We know it was a battleground. In uh, verses 16 here, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. So he he's basically says of all the armor, of everything here, above all, Taking the shield of faith. Take the shield of faith. Faith within the context of the before mentioned is impenetrable to attack. But we want to put faith within the context of the rest of what he was talking about here. And so here's a few scriptures. Um, the first one, Romans 8, verses 37 through 39. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then also Hebrews 11, 33-39. Who through faith subdued kingdoms. We're just talking about the impenetrableness of faith when it's really linked into God the way He intends for it to be. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourging, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts, and in mountains, in dens, and caves of the earth, and all these, having not obtained, uh, having obtained a good report through faith. Isn't that interesting? But basically, you're reading the hallmark record of Old Testament things that God did through faith. But what we're really doing is is highlighting the fact that faith was impenetrable in every one of those, regardless if they suffered or regardless if they saw miracles. Signs and wonders in every scenario. They were faithful to the end. And you saw that there was no bringing them down. And our warfare concerns this the most. <clears throat> so the shield of faith. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> the shield of faith is of utmost importance. <clears throat> I guess I got this thing in my throat. <clears> throat> The Christian truly um, lives it out. The Christian that truly lives it out has nothing to fear. Faith is not an ornamental emblem. It is the single most important part of our Christian life. 
<clears throat> so the thing that we need to focus, I think, partly on is what is the objective of our faith. Jesus Christ is the object of our faith, and we make sure that we, we base our faith based upon what the Scripture says. <clears throat> so aside from like a Sunday meeting, the reality is, is that we all have to spend a deep amount and a lot amount of time in Scripture so that we have a basis for our faith. Um, once we start diverting from the Scripture, we don't have a basis anymore. Again, it just goes back to the emotions, the way that I feel. It comes back to the subjectivity of the person themselves, and it always falls to pieces. Like, it just never holds together. So the biggest question most of us have to ask in our life over and over again is, Lord, am I submitting to your word? Is what I'm believing founded upon Scripture? And then is it also backed up by the Holy Spirit in revelation to me? And so the impenetrableness of faith is, is that once you really do believe that what God has said, that nothing else is impossible outside of that, then what can penetrate you? Neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because whatever I believe I stand on according to this book, nothing wavers there. And whenever I'm wavering, I'm always looking to get back to what does it say in the Scripture? How do I live out what the Word of God says? And a lot of times you can trace the... Like in the Scripture where it talk, tells us in James about the double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. It's instability either in the knowledge of Scripture or in the application of Scripture. Like that's where the instability always is. So why am I always floating and struggling with because I'm not applying the Word of God appropriately, or I don't understand it appropriately. <clears throat> but if we make this our center focus in our Christian life, then um, we overcome because of our faith in the Word of God. We overcome the world. And then verse uh, verses 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. <clears throat> While salvation consists in our whole life as it develops and grows in Christ, it stems from what we learn and are taught. The mind is the hub of salvation, knowledge, and truth. For this reason, salvation applies to our mind in order to safeguard the rest. And he also speaks of the helmet and the sword. Uh, they are expressed together. To disarm one is to gain victory over the other. So if you have removed my helmet and you have taken me to the place of my understanding of Scripture is marred or misunderstood, then my application to the sword is going to be messed up too. There's just no way that you can't take both of those together. Misguided judgment dulls our understanding of the Word of God and deception is one point in, in one point of Scripture finds its way into everything else you, uh, we know of it. The Word of God is revealed to us by His Spirit, and only in this way are we able to overcome deception. Only in this way are we able to overcome deception. So misguided judgment in the Word of God. Um, and I don't know, I, I honestly don't know of many... I know of many, many scenarios where I faced it myself, and I've had a lot of people that didn't have anything in the Bible, but I remember uh, one scenario of being in, in a um, gym with a bunch of uh, young men that were uh, not saved, and they were angry with me. <laughs> and one of them had said, I know that Bible, I've already read that Bible. <laughs> and I was like, well, then, I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, what's the conflict here then? What are we having an issue with? Because I don't see how, you, if you've read it, that you have a problem with what I'm telling you. And so that's the reality that we face most of the time is uh, it's just like it was with Stephen. It said that they could not resist him for the spirit and the wisdom for which he spoke. So he spoke with wisdom, but he had the spirit of gentleness. He had the spirit of Christ within his words. And even though within his rebuke, he was perfectly within the uh, framework of the Spirit of God in his life. And so he wasn't just rebuking out of anger. He was rebuking because he had the Spirit of God in him, giving them a sound rebuke. And I think there is a difference. There's very much a difference. So lastly, we go in here, the last few verses. 
And in verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. What I think here intended here is praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit is, is this, that you're in complete conformity and unity to the Spirit of God. So when you pray, you're not praying outside of the will of God. You're praying within the mind frame that God has. I, always, I say this, that when we're praying the Word of God, we're just praying and mirroring His own heart back to Him. We're just flipping out what God has already said in His Word. So we mirror His promise, we mirror His heart, we mirror His character. How can you not receive an answer to those prayers? So the greatest foundation we have for prayer is the Word of God. The next greatest foundation, or both of these together, is how we apply the Word of God in our own personal life. If we've misapplied the Word of God in our own life, it directly affects the prayer life. And I think when I was reading this, I thought, I think that's the reason why the Apostle puts this in this order. And I was telling my wife, I said, when I read this, I believe this is the order that they would actually put on the armor for preparing for battle. That you would begin by girding up with truth. And so why would he have it at the end unless there was an essential reason for prayer being at the end of this? Because there's something about when it comes to putting on the armor of God, whether it's the girding up of the truth, or if it's the attitude that we have in our heart toward righteousness, or if it's some other part of the gospel in which we've confused trying to be peaceful with people rather than confronting the darkness in the world we're living in. I don't know how it is, but depending on how we approach everything else, will affect our prayer lives tremendously. And I believe this, the deeper we go in prayer, that the deeper God's going to do on a cleansing level within our own lives. And there's just going to be nothing untouched by the Holy Spirit. Because basically I believe this, the more God wants to preserve His will within the earth, He just wants to preserve purity within the lives of His people. And not just faith, but faith mixed with purity. So that when we have it, we have a whole picture of God's intention, God's mind behind the Christian life. And so here it is. God has done something regarding purity in our life. He says that uh, they that are pure in heart shall see God. So there's this purity protected with righteousness. And then when we pray, there's humility at it because the reality is only God can do it. But I feel like all we've done is just reserve our lives at their best for the one who was crucified for us. And we give Him our very best. We surrender everything we've got to Him. And there's a constant surrendering process. What I see here over and over again is is that this isn't a one-time deal. I threw on the armor, went to battle, took it off, and now we're living a life of peace. But every day I face with my family, every day that I go out into the world in work, I have to put on the armor of God. I have to gird up with truth because somebody's going to say something. Somebody's going to do something that day that's going to throw me off course. And so I want to be ready with my time of devotions that I spent with God and my time of prayer. And Lord, increase those times for us. And I want to be protected in righteousness. I don't want anybody looking at my life and saying, look at the misconduct of his Christian life. I don't believe his Christian character. So there's this sense of not how to be perfect. And I know this is where people struggle. is like this feeling of everybody's just got to be perfect. <clears throat> but the idea is, is that the world is looking for any place, any blemish in our life. Any blemish. And can I, can I be absolutely perfect? Is that my, my goal? No, my goal is, is, Lord, whatever I can do to live as purely as I can for you, that's my objective here. And that's what dominates our prayer lives. That's what dominates the prayer closet. Is Have I had bitterness in my heart that the Lord wants to deal with? Have I got uh, pride that I'm not letting go of? Well, then you find in your prayer times, there's this struggle to get through with God. And you feel like maybe there's a sense, because God's always been merciful to us. There's a sense of like I've got some breakthrough, but I've got something as a wall that's penetrating and stopping my prayer time. And keeping me back from what God wants. And then he starts peeling back those layers. And then you put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
And there's things that change so that we can pray. And we can pray effectually and fervently. You know, the scripture says to pray effectually and fervently. And the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice it says the prayer of a righteous man avails much. The key word there is the prayer of a righteous. This man goes to prayer and then he gives us the prayer of Elijah as an example. And says Elijah was a man subject to like passions. And yet he prayed fervently. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And for the space of three years, it did not rain. And then when it came time, he prayed again. And the earth brought rained and the earth brought forth her fruit. And he was just saying, Elijah was a man subject to like passions. He's been in your shoes. He's had to put on the armor himself. He knows that he has to protect himself against the elements of the enemy in this dark age. And so because of that, there is a reality that the prayer of the righteous man avails much. So I think this is the complexity of imputed righteousness and imparted righteousness. Imputed righteousness is the day you came to Jesus Christ, He took away the accusation of darkness in your life and you're no longer lost in this world. Imparted righteousness is what Jesus Christ does in your life to make you new, a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. My mood, my attitude, my problems with the world, the way that I handle my family life, the way that I've been with my children. That's why I love hearing you know, these testimonies this morning because they have such an impact and the reality of what God does in the life of somebody and bringing them out of darkness to secure not their families, to secure the, the honor of God within the kingdom work of Jesus Christ and secondarily bless your family along the road. Like how many of us can't say the moment we got saved, it changed my whole family life. It gave me joy where there was no joy. It gave me peace where there was no peace. It took away all the complexities and difficulties within those relationships. And that was just the icing on the cake. That was the secondary benefit. The massive blessing is, is that the angels of heaven are rejoicing right now. That's what God is blessed in. That the name of Jesus has been demonstrated and the worthiness of the Lamb of God and what He's done for us is revealed. That has been demonstrated to the world. That has been demonstrated in our homes. That's what glorifies God the most. So, we have to get off the kick of what am I going to get out of it and just realize what God's going to get out of it. And when that happens, you get blessed immensely because you can't believe how much God loves that cooperation and that commitment to Him. And that's worship as God intended. In the last few verses, it says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I do. Tychicus a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be with the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Amen. I have to say this is, to me, a great end to this this whole chapter and to the message is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love, the grace be with you all and love of our Lord Jesus Christ and sincerity. Amen. And God has some wonderful things for us. We've already been encouraged. The Lord's already been speaking about how there are, there are tremendous things, difficult things coming. But for the people of God, it's still the faith that holds us up and gives us the hope in the darkness, and a light for others as well. Praise God. Praise God. I want to give an opportunity. Um, I'll, I want to take some time, just a few minutes here to pray, but I want to take an opportunity for you guys to also just come and pray. These are the times to pray. You're going to hear me say that a lot. I believe in it a lot. I think it's the best thing that we can be doing right now. And, um, and I, I, there's so many areas to cover right now that I'm sure all of us have particular burdens and things on our hearts to pray for. As I get, as I said, I just want church, in, in my way of thinking, it's not a formality. So the other thing I want to encourage you guys in is that there's no, you know, maybe I get over uh, lengthy on the sermon, I don't know. But I realize this, when God gets his chance to move in a church and among people, there is no time clock, you know. 
that's why four hours can go by like four minutes because you've been in his presence. So practice that today. Give an opportunity for God to move here at the end of the service. Father, I want to thank you for everyone here. Lord, all of us have different schedules and different scenarios of life right now. And so, God, we just give that to you. And praise you, Lord, right now, because we do have an armor of God. And, Lord, we know that we can stand against the wiles of the devil, and we can win. Lord, we know that in everything that he tries to do, Lord, within the life, in the scope of confusing, deceiving, and lying, Lord, you said the God of this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe, and that he's come as a thief to steal, kill, and destroy, but not from us. Lord, we declare that this morning, not from us, not from our families, not from our marriages, not from our children, not in any way, that, Lord, we are going to put him in his place. And, Lord, I love what you said, that you said the devil, the prince of this world, had nothing in you, nothing. And because he had nothing in you, he had no groundwork of unrighteousness within the heart of the Savior, that, God, that gave all the freedom in the world for the miracles that you performed. And that gave all the freedom in the world for the salvation that was in Christ to be our own salvation. So, Lord, we just want to walk in your steps. We want to live the way you lived. And we want to thank you, Jesus, today that we have an opportunity right now in this body and in this with this breath that we can continue to give you all the praise in the world. So right now, Jesus, I just pray, Lord, strengthen my brothers and sisters. Lord, every one of us as a cooperative fellowship to be busy about your work throughout the week. Lord, in whatever limitations and capacities that we have, Lord, all of us on different levels that way, but we can all do whatever you've called us to do within those limitations. And I praise you, not beyond them, but within them. And I thank you, Jesus, for the grace that carries us beyond just the human level, beyond human understanding, Lord, into the supernatural, into things, Lord, that are only remarkable and give you all the glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for our, our service today. And thank you, Lord, for every bit, Lord, of your work in every individual life. Lord, how remarkable the joys that have come out of this, the healing, Lord, to the heart. And Jesus, you're not done with it yet. Lord, you're still doing mighty things. And we give you all the praise, all the praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, the invitation is yours to spend some time here at your seats just to pray, just to pray. There's no time limit on it.